Welcome in to Paydirt Sports. This is Will Dundon here with Nick Trushel and Seth Coggin. Paydirt Sports, part of the Six Pack Coverage Network. Boys, March is in full effect. I'm still dancing. I'm still dancing. Seth is the only one still dancing. Seth is the only one still dancing, sadly. Well, you know, a lot of people did a lot of people did a lot of talking, but I'm the only one still dancing. I'm the only one still dancing. Well, my thing, so obviously SEC and Big Ten both only have one team left as of right now in the Sweet 16. And some people were trying to give I mean, they were obviously trashing the SEC a little bit since all the teams lost. And then they said, you know, and Arkansas barely hung on. And I'm thinking, that's what this is all about. Survive. Yeah, all these teams are good. All these teams are good. If you're in March Madness, you you have to be good. So I I think it's complete crap if people are calling, oh, well, you barely hung on. Yeah, that's the name of – that's quite literally the name of the game. Because every single game is a Super Bowl. Yeah. Every single game is a Super Bowl, so you know you're getting the best out of both teams, and and the fight like you're, you're it's a limit when both teams are fighting for elimination. Like that is as an extra element of just like intensity that you yeah. can't replicate. Like you can get hyped for regular season games and stuff, but you just can't quite replicate that just instant. Like the other night, you know that's the crazy the the instantaneous stuff of going home or surviving of like you get you amp up you know you get to the end of these games and it's like shot for shot blow for blow like I think of the TCU game the other night where like they just go for it you know they even get overtime and then all of a sudden it's just over like you think you're about to have this great upset like you think you're about to pull off a nine over a one like biggest win in probably TCU program history and then all of a sudden over or (laughs) we can talk about the Baylor UNC game which might have been the craziest college basketball game of the year yeah up 25 with what 12 minutes to go yeah. 10 minutes your, to go i will say real quick what your boy over here picked yeah good pick you, you picked they uh, almost they tried everything to blow it though but then still held on that's what's craziest to me that, so and a lot of people so uh what's his name big white dude the place for unc they got kicked I'm out for the remember, elbow. yeah that was the the turning point for sure yeah that was the turning point and then a lot of people were complaining about the refs, and then you had other people saying, well, you know, the refs didn't blow a 25-point lead. But, man, dude, if you were watching that game, it was hey, like every it time. Was every call. Every time Baylor went down the floor and someone got hit or touched, whistle right away. I mean, it. I, I get it. You can't blow a 25-point lead regardless, but the refs were not helping at all. No. The refs get, the refs get caught up in the madness. The rest, like, yeah, oh, suddenly, suddenly Baylor goes on a little run. Now it's like now they start, I don't know, they get a couple favorable whistles. Like, things keep getting whipped up and emotions are high. Like, they're, they they kind of lean towards the team with the momentum because it's, like, in their head almost. Like, oh, Baylor's coming back. Like, oh, Fallon. Oh, yeah, back. yeah. No, it definitely it starts going their way. And, like, even uh, we can bring it to baseball a little bit. When a pitcher is getting hot and hitting the corners, you know the ump is going to be calling He's giving them – you better be ready. You, you better be ready to swing because he's giving them those corners. Yeah, he's giving That's kind of on the rest words. Yeah. yeah. So, so – but that was crazy. Like, I think it's almost – I think it's – I don't know if it's a testament or just a crazy to come all the way back from down 25 and then still lose the game is just – it's it's almost hard. Like, do you even want to come back? Like, would you rather just get? I mean, you always do want to like 
you know, put up a fight, but still it's like almost more painful to like yeah, come all the way. Given yeah. every absolute like, last well, I mean, the, she had. Like once you've come back from 25, you got to be thinking you're going to finish that game off, right? Like, like oh, we well, came back from 25. To overtime and, like, and that one dude, uh, Thamba or Tamba for UNC who missed yeah. like five or six free throws. I mean, it just seemed like. Makeup missed a lot too. Yeah, it, it just seemed, it seemed like, all right, this is, this is Baylor's game. Uh, they're they're going to win. They're going to pull this out. It was meant to be, but Hey, credit to credit to the Tar Heels and uh, yeah. big shout out to Doug Valentine. I was talking to him throughout the whole game and uh, I, I can assure you, he was sweating on his couch, but he had some kind words to say about Rick Barnes and uh, that he was rooting for us. So, Hey, uh, we got to talk about, we got to talk about the balls. I mean, yeah. One of the premier games, there. one of the premier games of the weekend as well. I mean, yeah. that, Balls and Michigan game was high level, so it was tough to it come was. out and losing into that one. Yeah, I real would, quick, I, I did want pissed. to give a shout out oh. to uh, Scott Drew giving his best Butch Jones impression after the loss, saying his players they're they're winning at life, so it's okay. Butch yeah. Jones, well, but he he did win an Addy last year, so he has a little yeah, more credibility. I mean, they, like no, Butch Jones, Butch, yeah. yeah, Butch Jones. But I no, that it is a funny. But someone was talking about that on uh, radio today about you know Bruce Pearl just kind of being so like, he's almost so whimsical in his losing. Like he, he just blows it off. So nonchalant. It's like, at some point it's nice to own a loss. Like, like they haven't, they didn't play very well down the stretch and like no. th- their guard play was out of hand and he didn't reel that back in. Dude, Wendell like, green it, jr. Oh my God. I mean, like th- th- that, that's a team with Supreme talent that got out coached because they wouldn't play through the number one pick in the draft who is absolutely just head and shoulders better than like anyone he plays, just run the offense through him. Like you got to figure that out as a coach. Um, But then it comes back to kind of how we've talked about before in March, that's when it gets tough when you only got one guy to go to Um, because like you look at uh, a Rick Barnes, Texas, Kevin Durant team that what they get bounced in the round of 32. They didn't even make the sweet 16. Right. So, I mean, if you just, hammer in on that one good player if and Bruce Pearl is the type of coach you think would be able to coach around that make adjustments make in-game things but like like we always talk about all these guys are humans um and it's it's easy as fans to look at the sideline oh you should have done this oh you should have done this done this whatever it's still tough it's still tough, and uh, they gave it their all. But, yeah, Bruce, in-game coaching, probably uh, could have used some improvement there. Not even well, yeah, in-game, like just season-wise. Like this theme yeah. was happening over the last yeah, 13 games of their season. Like fix it. <laughs> you, you've had ample time to see the struggles. Yeah, everyone saw it coming. Well, and to your earlier point, Seth, yeah, he comes out after the game and starts giving the old – SEC grind it was such a grind and we just beat each other up it's so hard to keep and I'm thinking man really anyone can say that anyone across college basketball power five or not conference basketball is conference basketball you're going to mm-hmm. be playing quality teams like night in and night out you're playing yeah you're like 
you don't have much rest. You travel a lot. You play really good teams a lot. Yeah, it beats everyone. Like, that's not – that's not certainly excuse. no excuse. And Bruce can't make that excuse. He didn't – like, they didn't really have the hardest SEC schedule of all time. Like, they didn't have to go too no, Kentucky. Tennessee and Arkansas. I don't think they had to go too bad. Schedules were heads and shoulders above Auburn's, for sure. What did Auburn do? I mean, they got – they had this historical season because they got to number one for – a week they Every, were number one in the country and arkansas not shump they won called it shump they called won. it he said this auburn team is that same tennessee team with grant williams and admiral schofield that gets hot is number one for a week or two during the middle of the season they get the target on their back tennessee loses to lsu that next game they had trouble with vanderbilt the game before um, and they lose that one spot. I mean, everybody kind of saw uh, a repeat pattern coming here for for Auburn. So Shump called it exactly right. Auburn was going to get bounced early. Yeah, but he also was kind of calling Tennessee to the Final Four in that same vein by 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 switching the teams. Well, um, yeah, as were hey, I had them. No, I legitimately had them because I thought they were. Good. I mean, and they. Still well, we did have the worst shooting performance in about two and a half months. When you go two for eighteen from three, it's hard to I, win. Yeah, it's hard to well, win. So let's let's hop into that. Let's let's go ahead and break down the game real quick, and then we can kind of get into the aftermath. But yeah, Tennessee comes out against Michigan. Hunter Dickinson starts hitting threes. Kind Dude, of off that guy bat. was unstoppable. Three for five from three. He was eating Euros and Fulkerson's lunch down low, dude. What, what did he have? What would, what did he finish with? Twenty-seven, I think, or twenty-six. Yeah. Yeah, you you even stuff. saw in that at the beginning of that second half, kind of some of Tennessee's big men getting into the game and start getting a few buckets to kick it off. But I thought the biggest part was, especially in the first half, we were worried about, and obviously Tennessee didn't have a great shooting performance, but at the beginning there, Michigan wasn't just giving Tennessee tough looks. They were denying them any three-point looks. They, we didn't have a chance to even get a three-point three shot off at the beginning, I didn't think. No. Yeah, you got to give credit to to Michigan's defense. I mean, they turned it the hell up. Um, I was surprised from what I had seen. And, and this was – it kind of went exactly how the story has gone for both teams. So, Tennessee had been if – you, if you looked at their stats, they were up in the first half in like 98% of their games or something like that. And Michigan was down in the first half in 90-something percent of their games. Um, and the, the story is flip-flopped that Tennessee usually gave up a big lead. Now, whether they lost or won, I can't give the exact numbers on that. But there were some pretty good uh, statistics that Tennessee would lose the second-half battle and Michigan would always win the second-half battle. So it kind of went uh, almost as scripted from both teams how they've played all year long. So I had Tennessee first half minus three was sweating it for a little bit, nailed it, was happy going, got a little cocky, threw down second half, and uh, we saw how that played out. So just a, l- a little interesting to to kind of see how some of those statistics and storylines that Vegas puts together, uh, they're watching, and, and they know. They know. Oh, yeah, they definitely know. But so, I mean, Tennessee even had a lead there late in the game, and then, like we said, just didn't hit threes. I mean, yeah, just – and and we talked to our buddy, our buddy Toe that went to Michigan before the game. And he, he was saying that we blew our load that first game. We were so on fire, but I don't think it's that. I mean, that Tennessee team has played been, a bad team and killed them. Well, well, but Tennessee had been shooting well from three all year. 
you know, and then, yeah, Viscovi, I mean, what was he shooting? 43% from the three, 42% first team, all sec. He was kind of 14 points a game. I mean, the dude was one of the best three point shooters in the sec. He was kind of our Mr. Reliable. If he came off an off ball screen, got a good look, he was going to make three, it. You knew. And, but he, when he's missing them, I mean, I, he only hit one. Um, and what was it? Kennedy Chandler might've hit one nasty step back, I think from three, uh, if I remember correctly, but that was it. I mean, it, it was either Josiah Jordan James or Casey. I can't remember exactly who, but uh, when JJJ's missing his threes, when I mean, it's just when everybody, yeah, you know, yeah, going two of eighteen missing. means everyone Zakai, was missing. Zakai was missing threes. Yeah, you you bank on all those guys that we just mentioned having a couple threes again. Yeah, one or two know? at least. Yeah, and you didn't. That's the frustrating thing. Like you didn't need to go 50% from three. Dude, if we shot 30, if we shot 25% from three, we win that game. Yeah. That's what it gets. I mean, that's just, and that, and that's such a hard way to judge a coach too. Cause we'll probably get into this soon, but now, I mean, this just goes into a long list of Rick Barnes kind of, you know, quick exits with very good teams in the tournament. Now, is it his fault? We shot 10%. Like it's not obviously, but maybe right, still, is, but he's still the coach, so he yeah. he bears the responsibility. He still does, and that's I'm mean, he'll take it. Like that's the that's what you get when you're a coach. Yeah. Um, but it's just hard to be like, man. Well, Rick Barnes really got out coached or you know outdone this time in the tournament when it's like, yeah, well, his team shot ten percent. Like there is only so much that a coach can do. Yeah, like, yeah. You, you think you put the right, but he did all year. He put the right people in the right position. They were great. Like they were great. The second team half that beat a lot of great teams. for sure. Because um, especially when, and, Olivia when Kamala, Kamala got hurt, yeah, yep. he had to he had to change up the lineup, figure out who his guys and were, it and he did perfect. That. And he yeah, he nailed it exactly. He started giving Josiah Jordan James minutes at the four, which was completely different than I mean, he was brought in as a point guard, as a tall six six. Uh, point guard and so kind of when you give him the ability to to kind of be down low protecting the pain a little bit more playing on some of those bigger guys I mean that dude he reminds me of Dwayne Wade and Michael Jordan in terms of guards who had the ability to block shots because I think uh, D Wade and Jordan might have both averaged over a block a game uh, in their career so, and what, D-Wade was 6'3", and Mike was 6'6". Being that size, your timing and just athletic ability is unreal. So, kind of from – and by no way am I comparing Josiah Jordan-James overall game to either of those guys. But it just in that vein of a, a guard-level type of player to have that amazing post-defense um, is awesome. There was one thing that I wanted to bring up about Kennedy Chandler specifically – um, and I'll tie in Jabari Smith to this. So did you guys see uh, both Jabari Smith and Kenny Chandler respectively kind of walking off after the games? I saw Chandler. I didn't see Jabari. So Jabari was pretty nonchalant, walked out, didn't seem to show much emotion. Obviously, he's going to the NBA, number one pick, seemed fine with losing. Uh, I mean, Kenny Chandler, he left his heart, soul, blood, sweating tears out on that court. I mean, you saw him crying with Jawan Howard. Um, Everybody in college basketball has love for that guy. He works so hard. And I mean, he had an amazing game, probably the best game of the best game of his career at Tennessee, 19 points, 
uh, playing great defense, got steals. Um, so is there a chance he comes back to Tennessee? Cause he's kind of in that top 15, top 20 type of draft pick range. Do you think he comes back and tries to, to jump into that lottery? But I mean, still uh, going to take a, even if you get drafted in the first round, that's pretty much guaranteeing yourself at least a million dollars. It's going to be tough to say no to that. I, I think you could also flip it the other way, at least for Chandler, that all that emotion may be thinking, okay, this is this guy's last game here. And he really wanted to win one while he had the chance, you know, or make a deep run while he had his one year. Cause I would think he's gone. Let me, and they, they asked him about it after the game and uh, Josiah Jordan James interjected and just said he wouldn't be talking about it. So I don't know. I mean, I would love to have him back. Obviously I always thought it was a little odd because how tall is Chandler? Uh, I believe he's six two or six three. He's a little bit taller than he looks. Okay, if I'm not mistaken, I could be off on that. I'm I'm pulling him up here. I'm also pulling up a mock draft uh, to kind of see where some of the the mock drafts have him. So, yeah, in between thirteen. Okay, so oh wait, no, that's not it. Let's see. 17. He's projected to go 17th overall to the Pacers right now. Well, and I think um, in the NBA is that. And is then CBS has him it? at 25. So, and then Hunter's we saw top 12, we, I believe. We, okay. we saw Keon Johnson obviously go in, leave Tennessee, projected to be around 20, and then he falls to the second round, right? So, I could see him coming back. I think it's more likely now with NIL stuff. I mean, the yeah, possibility I mean, to have generate some kind of income. Yeah, maybe you don't make an NBA salary, but like you make well, a you pretty make, dang you good. You can make NBA. more. Well, not to get into football, but we can talk about technically. Nico. I know what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm not even going to try and pronounce his last no name. Way. I know no way. No way. He's really, making eight they, mil. No way, dude. That's not yes. real. I'm I will telling say you. I'm telling you. That was a buzz story. He's probably making good. He ain't making eight million dollars. He's I, making a couple mil though. I don't think least. he's. I don't think he's making eight million. But apparently, Wes told me that Shump was asked about it, and Shump just said he could neither confirm or deny. That it was eight mil. I don't know what that means. Take it for what you want, but either yeah, way, we can't can set, dude. That's a crazy precedent. You can that's make a, as much as a late first round pick if you stay at Tennessee. Is all I'm yeah. saying. No, well, I, think I think so. I mean, and he's already got buzz. Like he's not a fresh recruit. Like this guy's already generated considerable buzz, being a great player already on your team. All around, defensively passing the ball. His one crux is shooting the three, or not one crux, but two crux shooting the three a little bit. He can kind of go cold. And then what do you shoot from free throw? Like 60% yeah. this year. Those are, yeah, see, those are great areas to improve. I mean, that's a great, like he, his game is really put together, but it's like, Hey, show a little better shooting in a little, like, and it's like, okay, that's a great, Get great to space to work on. on and he's probably a better, I mean, year two in the SEC, I'm sure he would probably even bounce that up just by nature of that's being That's what I'm saying. I feel though. like he could work his way to like a top eight pick if he stays. If well, y'all think, keep if y'all keep Chandler, the, y'all are going to be a problem. I think that's the bigger storyline. Is does he? I mean, it's readiness. Does he feel like he's ready to go? Because he did get a lot better throughout this year with Rick Barnes, and he knows. I mean, he pays they, homage to they Barnes love, for doing that. They love that. each other too. I mean, you you saw after that uh, SEC tournament win. I mean, do how they embrace Coach Barnes, and I mean, those guys love him so. 
Hey, uh, I'm not fully out on Casey yet. I think uh, I think there's still a shot he comes back. I, I was also saying the same thing about Grant Williams, and then he ended up getting picked, what, 72nd overall to the Celtics. So it could play out like that. But, hey, I'm, I'm hoping for Casey. I think it's going to be an easy – he's going to have a conversation with Barnes, and I think Barnes is going to shoot him straight either, hey, you're ready, or hey, I think you could – really up your stock if you came back yeah. one more year and I think you could fix a lot of things and get way better I'm not going to hold my breath about it but we'll see yeah and if I was Barnes I would basically lay it out on the line and say hey right now you are an NBA draft pick and I'm going to support whatever decision you make uh but like you said Will I think there's still a lot left here on the table um and honestly I think if you stay and improve as much as you did throughout the year last year that could be a $5 million difference in, in a contract. So you lay that out on the line. You talk about getting your family paid. Um, I mean, it, it, there is a big difference from going late first round to lottery pick in terms of payment. So it, you look at that too. You take a million dollars to stay at Tennessee, and then you boost your stock to be able to get $8 million or $6 million in the first round rather than one or two. I mean – the question is, do you think that college basketball is bringing in the same money that college football is also as far as a player's perspective? I think a, I think a high profile guy like Chandler. Well, at yeah. Tennessee I think, right and I think there's enough money it. to go around from football and a lot less players too. I mean, think about a yeah. football roster at Tennessee got, I mean, Dude, Brock, Jancic, Brock Jancic got an NIL deal. That dude's making like 50 grand or something like that. Dude, that doesn't play more than three, two minutes a game. Yeah. So, so just more. And that was let, obviously more, a special uh, bed rest. <laughs> Who's ever getting the most rest on the bench type of deal. But still, I mean, if that dude could be making 50 to 100,000, whatever deal he's making, um, you never know what, the, what uh, old Jimmy Haslam could pull off. Well, so it's interesting, too, because it, it really depends by school. And I think Tennessee is one of the ones better set up because I was actually watching a Bussin' with the Boys interview. They did a trip to Nebraska and interviewed a couple players, interviewed Coach Frost. When they were interviewing Casey Thompson, the transfer from Texas, he started talking about NIL deals. And he said, man, when I got to Nebraska, all these players, like from all over different sports, have cars or apartments. And then he said – you know, at Texas, it was me, Beyond Richardson, and one other guy had cars. That was it. And that's at Texas, still a pretty big school. But then he went on to say, they asked him about how, like, they asked him for a number, basically. And he said, if you start on the football team at Nebraska, you're making six digits. So that's, nice. I mean, that's Good. pretty crazy. And that was an awesome recruiting pitch for the Huskers. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it, it, it depends a lot on the, the city and the support behind it. And so I, I've always wondered, like, can Jimmy Haslam pull pilot strings or is that uh, like a conflict of interest? No, nah, we got J.D. Note got a uh, like J.B. Hunt. It's a big uh, transportation logistical company. Yeah, up yeah, here. yeah. Right, he got a huge NIL from them, like a massive uh, deal. And that's. And they promoted it like it was it was big time. So yeah, I mean, and that's similar. And they donate tons of money, like the hunt, like they. So, but are are they like on the board and everything like that? I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure they they gotta be. I know Jimmy Haslam's heavily involved with the school, and it. Who knows? Who knows how how the funds are all tied up? If that actually does 
kind of change, but I'm sure I'm sure they'll find a way to funnel money. Like that's someone will find a way to channel the money correctly. <laughs> well, and I think it's still too early in NIL for there to really be any rules on that yet. Like maybe in a few years we see that cut back somehow, or maybe there's some conflict of interest rules. But right now I'm pretty sure it seems like it's pretty much open season. If you wanna if you wanna pay a player, you can find a way to do it pretty easily. Yeah. I want to talk about Rick Barnes for just one more second. Yeah. Because I got to like, at what point, if he doesn't break through, like, is it just time? He's like, going to retire. Well, well, you know, like, you think He'll he's going to retire. retire just, yeah. But what if that's four years from now and he still maybe makes one more sweet 16? So this is what's funny, because, Seth, you were in this group message with I wanted to bring up the lawyer, our friend of the show, Thomas Swafford, talking to me. He compared Rick Barnes to Ryan Tannehill of the Titans saying they both just stick their teams in this purgatory of being good, not great, never winning a championship, all that. And my argument was, first of all, this team this year, the expectations were not high going into the season. Rick Barnes made those expectations higher by doing more than was expected of him. What, What? What would you say? I don't well, think this – They were pretty high for Tennessee basketball. I was going to – No, they were 14. not at the beginning of the season, man. Are at you least sure? From what I was listening to on, like – I, I listened to I some thought of we the were Knoxville. 14 or 15. I, okay, I that's Tennessee fine. was high, pretty highly thought of. I was – from what I heard from the Knoxville radio stations, everyone I was hearing was, like, sealing Sweet 16. They weren't too sure about the season because you had a lot of question marks. We started off the season. You did beat Arizona. That was a big one. But you were kind of you were really inconsistent, and then you start getting this run at the end of the season. You win an SEC championship. I think winning an SEC championship is enough to call this season a success. Yeah, that is very true. Yeah, we finally got the monkey off our back. It, it was big. That was a big step just for Tennessee basketball as a program, like to win an SEC tournament championship. Not that it's the most important thing in the world. Like, yeah, a national championship's way bigger. But to not have done it in 43 years, like, that's pretty that's crazy. For a strong program, like, Tennessee is – they are a very good basketball program. To okay. not have a conference championship would be kind of crazy. So and, and I think it'll breed more success. I, I, re- I actually think Barnes will have a good deep run before he's done at Tennessee. I, I actually firmly believe that. I think – I'll think we'll enough make good an teams elite, together. Elite I think he's put enough good – like. You keep putting good teams in the tournament, and it's gonna happen. Like it well, will. will it's just work. with the craziness of March, where because you're gonna get lucky one time, and like not to take away going. from Loyola Chicago, but that one year they beat Tennessee. The rest of the teams they played to get to the Final Four were garbage. Not gar. I can't say garbage because we were just talking about earlier. If you make the tournament, you're good. But I don't think they played a seed higher than number seven Nevada or number nine Nevada the rest of the way to get uh, to the final four. So I mean, if the if the cards fall in the right place, you you hit some big upsets and those teams that okay, we just in we just won our Super Bowl. We got the upset. We're in the Sweet 16. You look at that Florida Gulf Coast team. You look at the St. Pete's team. Like, I guarantee you St. Pete loses their next game because they're, they're so fat and happy from winning these games and getting big. I think that it, it just kind of runs out of gas quick. Um, and if you get in the right spot, the right teams lose, the right upsets happen, you, you never know where you can end up. 
I think the prime time to take an upset loss to a lower team is truly the second game. Like you win that, you've had time to prep for this Longwood team. You beat them. Now you have a day and a half to prep for a just no, no reservations barred Michigan team that truly had nothing like 11 seed that already won a tournament game. Like they're already, you know, exceeding expectations that they really have. They have nothing, nothing to lose. And yeah, so you, can you play them with you play you play them with a day and a half in between where they're you know they have as, just as much confidence as you because they just won an NCAA tournament game. Like anyone who plays that second game, who like you only have a day in between, and that team just won an NCAA tournament game, so they are hot and dangerous. You like can any look at it that like, way for sure. And so I think that's kind of. But then you know if if Tennessee had a week to prepare for Michigan, I I really probably I would pick them again. Now I'd we'd, probably pick them again. Them by a, Double digits, I would think, because I I honestly don't think Michigan is that sound. But we could also even talk about Jawan Howard getting suspended um, and maybe the culture that that team has. I think they love Jawan Howard and love his toughness and love sticking up for the team. So him coming back for the tournament could have been that one little extra push they needed uh, to get the confidence and get things rolling. Rick Barnes punch somebody next year. You, like, well, if, if you go back to his uh, Providence and Clemson days, Rick Barnes used to be insane. I bet he used to be a lot more. Intense. No, he I feel like insane. he really has mellowed. You can out. go, you can go look. Uh, there's articles about it. His family, his wife and kids had to talk to him about it. And he has obviously become a, a very uh, godly well, he's man. Deacon Barnes, yeah. yeah. A very, very Christian man. Um, and has completely kind of changed his outlook on college basketball. But back in the day, young Rick Barnes, holy cow, that guy was a nutbag at Clemson and Providence. So I think something that was also overlooked maybe a little for this Michigan team yeah, they were inconsistent all year, but having those upperclassmen at guards in March, I mean, that helps when you have fifth-year guys or whatever they were. And you have yeah. a guy that dominates down – like, you really need a couple of really man. good guards, and you have one just yeah, dominant big man that can get you buckets. And then two – If you have – if your big man gets you 27 points, and I'm sure he probably had near 10 rebounds or something around that, like, that puts you in such a what? Because what was the final score of that game? It wasn't like crazy high. He scored. I mean, he scored a, over a third of their points, easy. Yeah, probably nearly a half. So if you got one guy that just dominates inside like that, and then a couple good guards that take care of the ball, you know, not turning the ball over and making a lot of free throws are really going to win you a lot of games in March. Like when it comes down to it, it's in the last because a lot of the games come down to the last eight, last four minutes. Oh, yeah. And you're probably in the bonus or double bonus, and you need guards that can get the ball in, that can take you know take fouls and make foul shots. Well, and so that's what I – with Rick Barnes, yeah, we don't have that we, – we don't have a Hunter Dickinson, that's for sure. But you have a guy like Eurosh and Huntley Hatfield who aren't that great. I mean, Huntley Hatfield's young, obviously. But I've seen Eurosh get a lot better since he's been at Tennessee, and that's where I get into this whole coaching thing is – there's only so far you can go. Rick Barnes set up this lineup, and it was he did it the right way. You see player development. That's all you can really ask for. They have a style of play that's essentially they kind of live and die by the three at this point. At least when you play March, when you get into March and you're playing a team with a much better big man than you have that you know you're not going to be able to guard, 
it just comes down to players making shots. I don't, I don't think any of that really came down to coaching. I didn't, I didn't think so anyway. Yeah. And uh, I mean, some of it piles on top of each other a little bit when there's one notion that Rick Barnes in the statistics do back it up, but you got to look at every single situation differently. It's not like, Oh, well, every time Rick Barnes makes it to the tournament, it's the same things happened. The same players were there, the same things. It was all the same every time he got to the tournament. So I think you can kind of, I mean, you can cherry pick certain stats and obviously uh, if you don't make it to a final four with Kevin Durant and you don't make it to a elite eight with Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield, that freaking sucks. But I mean, you can cherry pick a lot of weird stats. And I think some of it is, it's just Rick Barnes has been coaching for a long time and he's a good coach and he regularly gets to the tournament and it's tough to win in March. So here I have a couple stats I want to read off that I, that I think really kind of backs this, what we're saying up. So talking about Jay Wright at Villanova, one of the best coaches in college basketball right now, for sure. In a six-year stretch from 2010 to 2015, Jay Wright and Villanova never got out of the first weekend. Six years in a row. The last six years. They won two natties right after that? Correct. The the last six years, two national titles and now two sweet 16s. It's, It's hard. I mean, you look at that and you could say, dang, oh, like that, that six year stretch of never getting out of the first weekend. And then you go another, I mean, it's just hard. You can't do it year in We're, and year out. Virginia. We look at Virginia who got bounced, trounced as a six, uh, 16 and one seed. And they always had the notion of Tony Bennett, all oh, his defensive style of play. They they're going to need to start scoring more than 50 points a game. If they're going to win a national championship, yada, 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 yada. And boom, they make a run and go get one. I mean, well, it's it, it, it. You can cherry pick stats, but if you, Coach Cal, Coach Cal, what has he done? I mean, that dude has had more talent than just about every other coach in the NCAA. And it took who was on that Anthony Davis team? Was it Bledsoe, Anthony Davis? Um, I'm sorry, yeah, who? Michael Kidd, Michael Kidd, Gil Chris, number one and two in the NBA draft pick. I mean, or in the NBA draft, like it took that to to win a national championship, and he hasn't done crap since. And well, he got so bounced by St. Pete. So that that's the yeah. other stat I have that is that it's it's a list of current slash potential Hall of Fame coaches with one NCAA title. You have Calipari, Bill Self, Tom Izzo, Rick Pitino, Jim Beheim, Nolan Richardson, John Thompson, Tubby Smith. It's just hard to win them. That's, yeah. That's if you win one, you're truly Hall of like winning one national championship pretty much puts you in Hall of Fame consideration. And that's where I get right. The goal is to win and you want a national championship. But I think if if you're Tennessee and you've been to one elite eight ever, I mean, what what is kind of the what what are you OK with? I mean, if Rick Barnes goes to an elite eight, if we went to the elite eight this year, no one's complaining. No. You know, yeah. That's kind of, that's kind of the litmus test I guess for Tennessee basketball. Yeah, Everyone right wants now. to get to a final four. Until you've been to the final four, like going as far as you have ever been is good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like in, until you, you you want maybe it's Barnes, maybe it's the next guy. 
like to push through to the final four, like Tennessee will make a final four. My goodness. Like you've been in the tournament enough times with good teams. Like you will, there will be a time when for two weekends, the ball bounces, like you'll make a final four, whether it be five or what until then, like five year, 10 years. Yeah. Until then getting to the lead eight puts you in the season, like the best seasons in Tennessee history. If they had been to, if they went to the lead eight this year, it might have been, the best season in Tennessee basketball history. I mean, yeah, SEC championship, like SEC and championship, eight. and elite eight. Yeah, that is the best. There's no. It puts question. it right there with uh, any other season. So, um, but it 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 takes coaches to really set that bar. Like Muss has reset the bar at Arkansas. Yeah, in my lifetime, we had not been to a Sweet Sixteen, and you know, we had lots of. We've been to. We've won a national. You know, in the nineties, we were actually like a true top program but like as long as i've been alive nothing really i mean yeah we've won a few tournament games and we've been decent and made made the tournament quite like quite often and been fairly regular but like but like nothing nothing uh in two straight years he's taken us to sweet 16 so he's set the standard for himself of like now we're baseline sweet 16 like that's kind of that's the only two tournaments he's been eligible for because like the first tournament got canceled because of covid uh, right before yeah. and then we went to the lead a last year and then he's already in the sweet 16 this year with i mean I, another good opportunity uh if you're there it's a great opportunity if you're two wins away i mean yeah we got we got a mountain standing in front of us but like you know you put yourself there uh cal's been disappointing I, i'm glad you brought up him like yeah for all the talk all the recruits all the hype all the lifetime contract and everything like what has he done in the last 10 years? Like he hasn't done much. He has won one national championship and has like two more, maybe three more elite eights, which I mean is impressive. It's not yeah, easy. No, to don't get me wrong. But... He's a Hall of Fame coach. But if we want to talk about not winning national championships, not making it to final fours. Yeah, disappointing. Be, but that, once again, that's because your standard is Kentucky. I mean, your standard is very, very high high for what success is, but using that bar, which he gladly accepts and takes on himself by being the coach of Kentucky, like, okay, judging by your standard, you've been extremely disappointing in the last little bit. Like you, like this year, losing, this is the biggest, this is the cherry on top losing to St. Peter's. I, I mean, I know they won another game, but they, they're almost just floating on magic at that point. Like you're Kentucky, you have Oscar Shibway, and you lost to St. Peter's. Like, that is – you did not have your team ready to play. You yeah. cannot put and that Shibway, on anyone except what do you have, 30 and 16? Dude, that guy laid well, out get on him, the Get him – let him score 50. Like, <laughs> yeah. keep feeding him. Like, were they, like, were they stopping him? It doesn't, doesn't seem like it. Like, okay, if, you're, if I was the coach of that team and I was like, shoot, we're in trouble losing to St. Peter's. I am going to have Oscar Shibway like have every shot. <laughs> but well, kind of going along with this Cal train, someone else compared his last seven years to Tubby Smith's last seven years. I saw years. that. I yeah. saw Tubby, that. Tubby Smith was doing better. legitimately better. Dude, Tubby Smith won the SEC regular season 98, 2000, 2001, 2003, 2005. Yeah. Maybe, won an Addy in there? Yeah, he won, won an Addy the in SEC there? SEC tournament, 98, 99, 2001, 2003, 2004. Won the Natty in 98. Well, and that's I mean, why you I, – I, I hate people trying to turn this into – and it's because – you know why it is. It's because we've got SEC fans getting good at basketball. So you can't, you can't compare – or you can't try to treat 
college basketball coaches like you do college football coaches. Like you can very easily see in a college football season if your team is getting better, if your team is getting worse or meeting the goals that you want. College basketball, it's way different because, right, you can have a team in Tennessee that wins the SEC regular season and then gets bounced early in the tournament. Or you can have – or you can go, you know, have – like be a bubble team like Michigan and then you get in March and you get to the Sweet 16. Yeah, you're very – yeah, you can very fondly remember – like this year, you'll remember Michigan as a top team because they won two tournament games, but like they were yeah. very mediocre and lost to a lot of <laughs> very <laughs> mid teams. So you kind of have, have to ride Michigan? it. You kind of have to ride it out with these coaches because you never know. As long as you keep getting in there, there's a good chance at some yeah. point you make a run. Yeah, and if it, you don't, if, if and putting Barnes, you in favorable positions, Rick Barnes isn't just making the tournament. Like he's making it as a high seed with good chances better much better chances of making a run like it's he's not just bouncing in every year as a nine seed or ten seed or maybe in best years like a six seed yeah no, like he's consistently a power program being a top three seed maybe even argued for a top two like that means you are one of the well, we're best number teams five in basketball in the AP, like so yeah, you, we are you a top are five team clearly a top yeah and so a coach that constantly puts you in that position is so valuable hard to hard to find that well, my point here, we can go away from Rick Barnes after this, or unless you all have something else you want to say. But... I want to just talk right after this, the Tennessee-Michigan. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, but <laughs> the, also the heartbreak the they've given us. <laughs> also, what Rick Barnes has done since he's been at Tennessee is he is he's kind of owned Kentucky. He has a really good winning record against Kentucky, winning record against all our rivals, I'm pretty sure. And when you do that, you have an SEC regular title. You win an SEC championship for the first time in 43 years. I I don't know. I mean, you could argue he's the best coach in Tennessee basketball history. Pearl made it to the Elite Eight, but Barnes has – I mean, he won an SEC championship. Pearl never did that. Yeah. I think if Pearl – I I will say I think if Pearl stayed at Tennessee, I think they would have continued to make deep runs. But he didn't because he had to leave. So – It's tough. And I I hate that it had to be Michigan. Um, And I just wanted to bring this up because I'm looking at the, obviously over the past 10 years, the Vols and Michigan have found themselves playing each other in the tournament a decent amount of times. Um, So we'll go through the regular season here. The Wolverines have won all four games in the series in Ann Arbor, 59, 60, 74, 85. The Vols have won all four games in Knoxville, 60, 66, 75, 84. And then there was a um, uh, a neutral site game in 58 where Tennessee won that matchup. But we start getting into the NCAA tournament here. 2011, they absolutely stomped the crap out of us during uh, during the tournament, 75 to 45. Um, and then That was we- one of their better – what, where did that team go that year? That was around when they were really. Did, was that um, that was a few years before Trey Burks? I want to say. I don't know. I think that might have been one of his years where they made a. Because really he was good drafted run. 2013. How long did he stay? No, he was in college for a few about, years. Are you talking about the when they beat Pearl? Is that the year you're talking about, Trucial? 2011. Was no, that Pearl Tindall? was gone. Con, no, it wasn't. Con, was, was it the Jarnell Stokes team? Uh, no, no that was later. Stokes that was team, like that 15. Was 2014, yeah, or the 2014, 2015 season. So 2011, 2012. Uh, yeah, that was Trey Burke. So that was okay. that Trey Burke team that smacked the crap out of us. Yeah, who was the coach at 
at Tennessee. Was it Tyndall? Y'all are talking about? Yeah, this is in the tournament. Because 2011, I could be getting my years mixed up, but I know, like, because when Pearl was there, they smacked us, and that was like a Melvin Goins. So Quanzo, yeah, Quanzo was the head coach of that team where we got smacked by Trey Burke. Um, okay, but then, See, I, I must have so Michigan tail memory. end was Michigan tail end of Conzo's. Uh, like, was it the first year he was there and the last year he was there? Because yeah, well, he was almost had to be. Year. And yeah. then we all remember Jarnell Stokes missing free throws, um, and then well, the charge losing. call. Yeah, I mostly remember the charge call. Yeah. The, the charge call was terrible. Ended up losing 73-71, um, and that was an Indy in the 2014-2015 National uh, or NCAA Tournament. Well, um, and that's funny because that's a Tennessee team with Conzo Martin that had three NBA players on it that be- that had to play in a playing game that somehow still made it to the Sweet 16. Yeah. Well, that's that's what you talk about matchups. Like, yeah. I know they played the playing game, but they played another 11 seed, was, and then they played UMass. UMass. They beat oh. no, that was who the six seed was. So okay. they 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 make it to the tournament as 11 seed, and then they play UMass. That's kind of like Michigan, almost exactly. Like they Michigan was an 11 seed, but then you, your six seed is Colorado State, who didn't really inspire fear. Yeah, or anything no, inside most of most people. And then they beat Mercer. Michigan. So they so they they beat. All they had to do, they beat UMass and then Mercer to get to the, uh, to get to the sweet 16. So sometimes the road's just a little bit easier. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I was saying. If you get the right road, the right teams fall. I mean, you never know when a run can happen, but hogs have got, see, that's, I mean, that's the kind of thing about this year. Arkansas got a pretty favorable stack up to make the, uh, you know, sweet 16, but you made, we all have left to get, we got Gonzaga. Yeah. We got the big dogs. Yeah. Might and as well then, play them now, honestly. Might as well play them in the Sweet 16. Like, if, if we're going to have so, to beat them at some point, might yeah, as well beat them now. And then you, you're either going to see we Texas could, Tech or Duke this next that. weekend. This next weekend could be so monumental for Razorback basketball. We've put ourselves in position. We could, we could first down the number one overall seed in the tournament, the Zags. They're susceptible. Oh, we, yeah. Oh, yeah. I and then, Georgia, then Georgia in two days – so we'll beat the number one seed. Then in two days in coach K's career in the elite eight and punch our ticket to the final four in new Orleans. This, this weekend could be just the most joyous celebration of all time, or we could get run off the floor against Gonzaga. Like that could happen too. I don't think it will. I think we're going to hang in there and compete and give them a good ball game. I think our matchup against them is gotta, pretty favorable. Y'all have a good shot at winning. Yeah, I really I'd do think it, so. I would call it. 51% Gonzaga, 49% Arkansas. I'll take it. I'll take those odds, man. Like, give me a, 1%, a, man. I'll take those odds. Yeah. <laughs> give me they 1%. Gotta, they got to tip that ball that. off, man. They got to tip the ball off and play the Hogs for 40 minutes. And I'm just telling you, not a lot of teams want to play them. 40, 40 minutes, minutes bro. Hell. We're going to come at you for 40 minutes at your neck. Like, yeah, you'll probably, you'll probably get us in a few of them. But all 40? Like, we're coming for that. I bet. Here's what I predict. I, 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 I think – Gonzaga is going to get out to an early lead. I think they'll it'll be even as much as like 16 points early in the second half. And we're going to go on about a 26 to four run. We're going to go on a 26 to four run and then hold off and win the game. I think that's how it goes. That's what I see. That's what Mus is kind of patented. Like Mus has a patented as a coach. He'll make, he's got, he saves a slight adjustment to like mid second half 
puts one adjustment into the game or something like throws an extra wrench into the offense or defense or whatever. And then his teams like constantly make a big, big, big second half run and put us, put us ahead. I think, I think that's, that's what I'm thinking. So, I mean, I'm thinking what happens here um, is Nolan Richardson's spirit embodies the hogs this game is 40 minutes of hell we're bringing it back to old school 90s basketball that would be a that would be a like if they came out and just full pressing like just we said no we're amping up our pressure like tenfold and i i think gonzaga would really struggle with that like you keep throwing we got nine guys well, on the bench that are also just deep their, and their long best and players athletic. are bigs yeah. chet holmgren and timmy i mean if you're running the floor and we need to get foul trouble on one of those guys. That's yeah. what I think too. Like if we could get one of those guys in foul trouble to be great. Cause, Cause they've the, gotten two insane. of them together are just crazy. They've gotten crazy. so in sync in one season. It's unreal. Like those, watching them when they really, cause they did Georgia state had them kind of uh, had them on the ropes a little bit. Like, but then they all of a sudden were like, Oh shoot. We have drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren on the same team against uh, Georgia state. Yeah. We're just going to absolutely pound these guys. And when the two of them get working down low, it's very hard to stop because there's such an interesting combination of the way they play. Well, um, and Georgia State got in trouble early that game because you had a couple big men get like three fouls right away, and then their main big man got hurt in the first half and didn't come back. So yeah, that they is hung true. on. They really hung on until ten minutes left in, in the second half, and then it was just they didn't have anyone left. They had yeah. some guy come in who had played eight games all year coming into guard two of the best big men in the nation, you know, I'm excited to just see Arkansas, let it loose. Like this is a game where it's like F it, like give it everything you got. You're playing the number one overall seed. Like you've already made it to the sweet 16. You've had a good successful tournament. Let's just like go win this one. If you win this one, it's the, like the floor is yours. You know, if you win this game versus Gonzaga to move to the lead eight, like you have, every opportunity in the world to just win the whole thing. Just there are no, you are the underdog this time. There are no, like, there's no pressure on you. Just go let it fly. Like let it rip, give it everything. If you lose to Gonzaga, you lose to Gonzaga. You, you move on and, you know, get ready for next year, but screw it, man. You don't get these kind of opportunities very often. Like in the sweet 16 yeah. Like on CBS, you got Jim, Nant, you got like the nation's watching the Razorbacks with a chance to make just a huge splash. I love Jim Nance so much, too. I know. I love Jim Nance. I'm excited, dude. Thursday at 6.09. We got the Masters coming around here soon. Yeah, it's just like a teaser for the Masters. You know, yeah, you get to really, hear a little Jim Nance on March. Yeah, and they're, yeah. they're playing the Masters commercial, every single commercial. Oh, break, yeah. Just getting you fired up for it. There we go. The sports. Um, that's what I do love about sports is like, you know, things come to an end and like seasons change, but man, there's always something. It's exciting. always like, interconnected. It always there's works. Always something Cause then we're going to roll right into like hockey and NBA playoffs. And those go deep yeah. into the summer. And when you're this, like, this is going to yep. be a fun NBA playoffs yep. too. The, the Grizzlies haven't been this good maybe in my life. Like yeah, this is, they had well, some really, they, really good teams, but they were never a two seed. They, I don't think they ever made it to. No, a, they were a three. Yeah, they, three they had four, one. I they say. had one good year where they they, they, they won were, they were one seed games. for a while, or they were in the first place for a while. Yeah, that went, it was that Gasol, Zebo, yeah, TA, the yeah. grit and grind. That last like the last kind of hurrah of that big four when was we got good. swept that team by the Spurs was. in the Western Conference Finals. So, 
Yeah. I think this is by far the best regular season yeah. Memphis Grizzlies team we've ever had. Uh, we'll see. They got to prove in the postseason, but they ain't going to, they're, they they're got not scared potential. of nobody. Like they, that's the, that, that's they're the at a, biggest. They're team. at a dangerous place because like, once teams have kind of been to the playoffs several times in a row and like lost, it's kind of like understood that they're probably going to, unless they've made serious changes, like unless they've added a superstar like or something, but the Grizzlies are like, nah, our time might be just now. Like well, we might just go and, ahead and win it, it all. Through the draft, you got to do that in the small market. You draft oh. guys like Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson Jr., John Morant, Dylan Brooks. Brandon Clark, bro. Brandon they have, Clark. They have drafted great. Like Dude, they had a three-year stretch of just these. And even right, drafting right. Jaron Jackson was like, a, in hindsight, just a beautiful like master stroke he's still only like what 20 like our core the core of the grizzlies is so young and but talented it's it, sick. it makes me so nervous that we have to win now because all these dudes are about to get paid in the next two yeah years. some i mean yeah but you'll draft new good ones you know that's yeah, kind of that's, how it you works just have you'll keep in. you'll keep the ones you need and and draft um and draft the ones you don't so kind of kind of speaking to just drafting and, and building a roster and everything big time now in free agency in the NFL. You know, it yeah, seems like let, tons and tons of news, tons of news is just kind of breaking left and right. Where do we so, start? Little full, I, little breakdown. Do I don't know. Starting. I, I think we start with Deshaun. Yeah. The big one. Point. Cleveland the three first round picks, right? Uh, and then a third and a fifth, then a Something, swap and of then, a fourth. They randomly got a sixth or something out of it, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right, too, randomly six. Um, honestly, I I like the move by the Texans. Obviously, that you had to trade him. He was gone. That wasn't going to work out. They got a haul for him. Davis Mills has uh, really a, an opportunity to be a little, a little bit better than people think if you build around him. And that kind of seems like what Houston could be doing. Maybe. Well, when you're know. that bad, when you're that bad, that's what you have to have is draft picks. I mean, that's what they went out and did because yeah, you weren't going to keep Deshaun. He wanted out before all this, all the drama and stuff ensued. Anyway, you knew that wasn't going to happen. So what do you do when you're just down in the dumps? You just start trying to draft as many players as you can. Because even yeah. if you bring in someone great, you're just kind of. Well, you have to have, like, to win a Super Bowl, you have to draft so well. Because, I mean, there's so many players on the team um, that have to get paid. And it's tough to to keep everybody and keep those core groups together. You got to have the right assistant coaches. You see Art Smith leaving for the Falcons a couple of years ago. How how drastically that kind of changed our offense uh, when Todd Downing is having to call the shots. Um, one interesting thing that I, I, I want to talk about here, the one QB that is kind of left on the market uh, is Baker Mayfield. Obviously they're going to trade him. Uh, w- we saw Matt Ryan uh, get traded. He got traded to the Colts, yep. right? So that thins out the market. Um, does Baker go to Seattle? Cause that's, the, one of, that's the one of the ones I keep hearing. That's the only real destination left. I mean, well, anywhere else it's, he's either going to be a backup or battling for a starting spot, which is kind of crazy to me because I mean, yeah, Baker's not obviously one of the top QBs, but I just don't think of him as a backup either. So I think that would be crazy to see him go somewhere and back someone up. I feel 
is am I wrong to think he's better than Carson Wentz? Like, I think he is. I know Carson Wentz just is automatically a starter again in Washington. Like I feel yeah. like Baker's kind of about at that same level. Like I put him about the same kind of category of like, I think he'll end up in Seattle. That just makes the most sense. It's the only team that, cause it, it, it seems like to me, Atlanta is pretty much full tank mode. They're going after the number one pick. <laughs> full full tank got, mode. They just signed Mariota. They got Mariota. Yeah, they just signed Mariota. They're full tank mode. Full I mean, tank mode. Come nah, on. Man, don't ride him off like that. Nah, man. Mariota and Art Smith, they know, he knows how to run that offense. Didn't Art Smith uh, change him halfway through and completely change our season? Yeah, well, change it to a trajectory of the franchise by doing yeah. that. Yeah, I think maybe he'll do Maybe he's hoping earlier. to do it again. Like maybe he's going to get Mariota in hopes that. He can bench Mariota for the backup at some point and yeah, maybe create like a great some... spark. Felipe spark Franks man. comes out of nowhere. Yeah, Felipe. <laughs> yeah, he had a good season at Arkansas. Yeah, <laughs> I totally forgot he was at Arkansas. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's where he got drafted from, man. Yeah, I thought that's yeah. uh, why you mentioned it, but obviously spent some time. Yeah, in Atlanta, they're not. But didn't uh, so Jameis is going back to uh, New Orleans, Saints, right? Yeah, two year deal. Yeah, so. Who is kind of left without a quarterback still? Well, they they Seattle? even put the he's definitely going to Seattle. He'll, yeah, well, he might, they, they might put do the, okay there, honestly. They put the Titans as one of the top four teams that could I could be a honestly I could see spot. us getting Baker. Like no lie, we kind of similar to Tannehill no, 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 doing no, the same no, thing. No, no. Same thing. Like it's like, hey, look, you're obviously not a starter. Like no one's really picking you up as a starter. Like come here, make decent money, and you'll make probably six, have a chance. Seven million. And, You'll like, have a chance. And you know, maybe, that's because maybe that's what Ryan Tannehill needs. Is like, Ryan Tannehill he performed the best when Mariota was right at his heels. Um, well, so, and when he had to earn the spot, obviously. Yeah. So I think in uh, competition and playing but, the best the, like, is tough. Your but franchise quarterback think... is hard. It's, it's hard to, like, I don't know. He's obviously our quarterback. We're committing to Ryan Tannehill. Like it's kind of a slap in the face to bring, to bring in, but yeah, I don't, I don't think it is either. Um, yeah, but I thought, I think he really wanted to go to the Colts, didn't he? Like Baker, I, I feel like he he definitely wanted to be a Colt. Oh, that's cold, bro. That's That's so cold. They don't even want him. They take Matt Ryan. I mean, like, well, did does you Matt see... Ryan strike fear in you guys? Like as a tight as Titans fans, like hell are you like, no. Oh, Matt, Matt Ryan. No, me neither. Did you see how much dead cap space Atlanta had? Uh uh-uh. uh. 40.8 million. That seems bad, man. Cap space that's is a weird I'm fictional number, but that's bad. Yeah. They <laughs> are tanking. Well, that's they, why they're that's why they're <laughs> they're signing Marcus Mariota. Like you think Mariota he's making a big took a contract trade to, to have 40 million dead cap on the books from Matt Ryan. They're tanking, they're done. Yeah. Well, uh, the Colts speak- are in quarterback pur- purgatory too. Like they literally might be cursed. They might have a new starting quarterback that like kind of sputters out every year for the rest of my life. Yeah. Like Phil they Rivers, booed, they Carson booed Lynch. Andrew Luck and now they literally are stuck with a different crappy quarterback, like Luck? different in different dude ways. Their quarterbacks suck every dude, year. Dude literally destroyed his body, his neck, his shoulders, his arms. He was one of the best. Uh, Beat the Titans 11 he, out of 11 times. He did do him a little dirty the way he left. Like the fact that he retired like after everyone bought season tickets and everything, that was kind of a I guess the move. timing, but also you gotta look at his perspective family wise, injury wise. 
you got to do what's you got to do. I don't put it on him, but if there was a talk with him and the owners and the coaches that was like, Hey, why don't you wait to announce this until we get all the sales done? Then it's like, ah, a little dirty on your, I don't know if it did or not. I think he was kind of back from an injury and like still has decided. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I was just, dude, that was, I've said it before, but that really was one of the happiest days of my life. Of my yeah. life, dude. A- Andrew Luck owned me so hard. Twelve and every, the Titans. Every time we played him, he it was just owned, merciless. I mean, he just, I, we, I've, we, oh, I watched the Titans lose to him so time after time after the time. The Titans were served to him on a silver and since, platter and every since Sunday. that day. I mean, the Titans have pretty much owned the South. The Texans won a few divisions early there, but the Titans have really, even when the Texans won, the Titans like won more playoff games or went farther, like. And then we've won the last two. If we can win three in a row, that'd be really awesome. I can't lie. Like, I, I know we, we had bigger aspirations last year, but winning three straight South titles for the Titans would be just unreal. Setting a new bar of just like the standard. The standard of the Titans now is winning the South, and I think which is awesome. Vrabes uh, and J-Rob, we've set that culture for the next five to ten years. Yeah, well, and we talk about dead cap space, and the Titans took a big advantage of that because from what I understood, that was basically why we got Robert Woods for a six-round pick was because the Rams wanted to free up a ton of cap space for Aaron Donald to make more money, guys like bring OBJ back, and then didn't they get someone else? Did they bring someone else in? Or no, they they gave Stafford a bigger deal. Yeah, they gave Stafford a huge deal, and they want to bring back uh, OBJ. Yeah. So, I mean, what do y'all think about that? What do you think about Robert Woods? Bobby Trees, you mean? Bobby Trees. Bobby, trees. Bobby smokes trees. Hopefully not <laughs> smoking trees. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I love the signing. I think it's a uh, six-rounder. I mean, can it, you get more value out of a, a six-round pick than Robert Woods? No. Nope. Dude's coming off an injury, but it was in the middle of the season last year. He's had the whole second half of the season, the whole off season to get right. Um, you got to take a flyer on a guy like Robert Woods when our wide receiver room, when NWI or Cody Hollister is your number NWI two. NWI is like number two before yeah. Robert Woods came, right? I mean, seriously. Yeah. So no, I, I still think we draft a receiver I in the saw, first I round. I saw, no, I saw someone write out a Titans draft, uh, sorry, depth chart and this is without uh, Robert Woods, or maybe it was even with Robert Woods, and they were showing the number three spot, and it had NWI slash Mason Kinsey. And I was like, oh, oh my God. Mason Kinsey. Oh. Hey, I love Mason Kinsey, but I don't. Yeah, I mean, but he dude, ain't a number three in the NFL. He's an, emer- right. he's an emergency guy. Yeah, when like, practice squad players are starting at the slot, that's not good news. Yeah, no, I think Robert Woods is a great addition. Been guy been around the league a little while, been productive. Veteran. Knows, no, yeah, I think that'll be a, honestly a great add with the addition of a rookie wide receiver. What? Like, I think you take a you you take one of the really talented uh, uh, wide receivers in the draft, and then you add you know a really talented rookie with a polished vet with AJ Brown, and I think that's a pretty dang exciting combo with Derrick Henry in the backfield still. Like, I think. Because we're going to pick it right back up. Yeah. Um, I'm they really worried. haven't made too many other moves in free agency this year. Um, Austin Hooper, baby. Yeah. Austin Ooh. Hooper. That was a big one. That's good. That's kind of one you needed. I we needed tight end help. Yeah. That, that's that's a good way to put it. Like, how good those are the kind of, of signings you how need. How good of like, a block 
is Austin Hooper. I've been trying to find advanced analytics to, to but there's really hard and I'd have to go back and watch film. But well, the thing is, is you kept break it out, break out the all 22. You kept Swaim, and you know, he's kind of the more blocking tight end. But yeah, but also, I, I looked at his, I looked at their drop percentages and Austin Hooper has a higher drop percentage than Jess Swaim. It's probably That's different. Nice. Just because both, both played 58 games. Uh, Hooper has gotten more targets for sure, yeah. but played in the same amount of games. The targets yeah. weren't that far off, but definitely Hooper had uh, more. So it'll be interesting. Uh, I hope. I hope he's good at blocking. And like I said, I need to go. It's just so nice when you can throw uh, a tight end and get the big boys left and right, basically have an extra left tackle there, uh, especially with Saffold being gone, some uncertainty at the O-line. I think we're going to need some really good blocking at the tight end position this year. So They did sign another lineman. I forget his name. But... Yeah, I can't even yeah, remember. Not, it was just kind of a Backup. filler lineman. It was a Kendall Lamb type of signing. Yeah. yeah, just like this guy can swing for us, play a few different positions, which is versatile. You really need that yeah, guy you need those going guys through an NFL you know, season. Yeah, you know. Because, like, yeah, you one game your guard's going to be hurt. One game yeah. your tackle's going to be out. Like, you need filler yeah. guys. I think line O-line is another place to target in the draft. Um, if I kind of follow yeah, the, the, theme, the theme of uh, this this management, this GM and staff. Um, and I think O-line will be kind of a secondary. Yeah. Yeah, they like rounds. to get fast. They like to get fast, athletic linebackers late in the rounds, and because our that's starters a good... are good right now with Zach Cunningham and David Long, um, but I mean it can't hurt to to stack up. No, the depth always the stack defense. that depth. Well, and we hope a guy like Dylan Radon's on the line is still. Yeah, he's going to need to take a step up. In which, yeah. towards the end of the season, he did. We can always talk about making uh, Bosa switch, but. Uh, the guy's got potential, and I think he's like a Nate Davis type of player where it can take two years, three years. But once you get him in, get him rolling, dude's going to be a starter for five to seven years, hopefully. So, Well, and those younger guys, it could be a thing where, hey, maybe you just got to throw them in the fire and it takes them a couple games at the beginning of the season to yeah, get their the feet wet again. Yeah, the sink or swim method. Yeah. Um, well, why don't we talk a little bit? I know we've been – focus on the Titans here, but obviously there's a lot of wide receiver craziness going on with Juju Smith-Schuster headed to the Chiefs and then Devontae Adams being traded to the Raiders. Um, Would you say the Raiders or the Chiefs have the best receiving core right now? Because they're kind of almost equal, I feel like. They both have um, – Two very good route running receivers. Tyree Kill is a little bit more of a speedster. And then both have that tight end and Darren Wallen and Travis Kelsey, who are both essentially wide receivers. Um, I think the Chiefs kind of uh, knock them a little bit, but Raiders are closing in, man. I, I think the Raiders could have a big year if Josh Jacobs stays healthy, the O-line stays healthy. They tighten up that defense a little bit. I, I'd be scared of the Raiders. I mean, yeah. That division is so tough, though. Yeah. I mean, Devontae Adams is arguably the best receiver in the league. You pair him with – who's their other – I mean, is that – do they have anyone else? Uh, What is it, Zay Jones? Yeah, so no – I mean, no one crazy. But, yeah, I mean, Rimfro is kind of the – And Waller is like a receiver, so you basically – 
Well, it's funny because you just think of Renfro, and it's just so hard to think of him as a like real threat, but obviously he is. So, oh, Deshaun Jackson, baby, we forgot about him. <laughs> Still kicking. <laughs> yeah, but right now, uh, Devonte Adams is um, listed at left. Brian Edwards is listed at uh, the right side, and then Renfro in the slot. So. Maybe not quite as good uh, of a receiving core as I thought. I guess I'm kind of counting in um, Waller. But, hey, maybe if they get somebody in the first round. Well, they have uh, Javon Wims. Where is he from again? I couldn't Um, tell you. I'm trying to think. So he played – yeah, he was that Georgia receiver that was pretty good. Um, And – He's made a little bit of noise. They they got him in the seventh round, but he actually kind of uh, made some noise with the Bears and is one of those guys that can maybe make a little jump up. Um, but I still think, obviously, the Chiefs have Mahomes. That trumps car by about a million miles. But uh, that, uh, that receiving core is still going to be really good. No, yeah, for sure. And and kind of going back to what you were saying about the draft, it, it's going to be awesome because, I mean, this year you have probably the top four or five guys that any other year might be up there for the number one receiver taken. Oh, yeah. Dude, you're you're going to be able to find extremely good value uh, round two at the receiver position still. Or like for so us, late, like for us, late first round. Yeah, I, you could, you could go you, get Olave at uh, – what do we have? 26, 21? Uh, Alave or maybe a guy like uh, Bama. I'm, I'm blanking Jameson on his Williams name. or Mechie. Yeah, Jame, Jameson Williams, a guy who's, you know, towards ACL that people might shy away from a little bit. We'll see. Uh, I don't Jeffrey know Simmons. Yeah, he tore yeah. his ACL. Uh, there's going to be there's gonna be a receiver there that is really high-level elite receiver. That you just um, got and maybe play. even one you don't expect. Like, someone may fall and you're like, holy crap, like, we got to take this guy. Like, this guy's a a day one difference maker. If you can get a, a true day one difference maker and late that late in the first round receiver, it's go time. Like get that guy. Best player available. Yep. And it just so happens to fill an area of need. So best of both worlds. Best of both worlds. When's the draft? It's coming up fairly soon. It's probably Isn't April, it in right? June or no April. No. Sorry. Yeah. Like into April. It's about a month away. Yeah, April 28th through the 30th. I always wanted to draft people. Like, I always thought I'd be good at that. I want to inter- I want to do the interviews and, and be like a GM and draft the right guys. I think I could do it. Yeah, I think I could do it too. <laughs> Seriously. I, I know people. Like, I think I could do I just could do as it. good as the people that do it. <laughs> they, right? make mis- they, bu- they make busts all the time. Like, I mean, yeah, I'll probably have a few that don't pan out. But, shoot, uh... you know what? Oh, come on. I'm not drafting know. Isaiah Wilson first round. Well, I'll then why do, uh, what, Why doesn't everybody do it? Wouldn't you want to get paid $3 million, $6 million? You got to know people, man. You can't just hop into that. Oh, that's it? To be a GM in the NFL, yeah, you do probably got it. It's kind of deep state stuff. You got you to gotta, <laughs> go real deep. Like, you got to know where – I don't know. You got to know where the bodies are hid if you want to be a – you know, when it man. really comes into play, because, right, you can kind of pick the first couple rounds. You know who they're going to pick. You think, 
okay, yeah, I'm going to draft A.J. Brown in the second round. That sounds like a good idea. Like, I would have done that. But then it's the, it's the can you get – well, it's the can you get, like, can you draft Kevin Byard in the fourth round and David Long in the fifth round? That's where the real scouting interview process, all that comes into play. So, yeah, that's where I think the, the GMs really make their money is rounds three through seven. Because, yeah, a lot of people can probably predict one through two. Yeah, this guy's going to be good. Yeah, there'll be some busts. But to find those diamonds in the rough, you and those you are the guys that fill your roster so too. Well, you got to know football so well and know uh, know the culture and know how guys fit in. Uh, be able to read work ethic and I mean, there's so much that we don't see behind the scenes. It's crazy. I think. How do you become a GM? Probably different ways. Coach, you know, maybe by coaching some or by going like, through the true administra- admin side of yeah, a both sports either team. coaching or admin side. What was J. Rob doing before he, he was, was with our the GM? Patriots? Yeah. Uh, he I mean, was he, he was like personnel. an assistant. Yeah, he so he was a, essentially, you know, their assistant kind of under the GM. Okay. Um, yeah. So we. But can, I mean, uh, before that, I'm sure he was just on the staff. Like I, I think I'm pulling him up here. I'll, uh, so. He like was a graduate assistant, graduate yeah, assistant in 98 at Southeast Missouri, graduate assistant at Nickel State down in um, Louisiana. Louisiana. I beat them in a softball tournament one time. Nice. Um, Congrats. Nickel State. Thank you. Uh, we came in third in the uh, SAE College World Series. It was legendary. Oh, wow. That is pretty sweet. Uh, Nickel State linebackers coach. So, J-Rob even had a little bit of coaching oh, On-field experience, experience. yeah. Um, and then, so it looks like, I don't know what he, I'm trying to figure out exactly okay. where the crossover happened. So yeah, the crossover happened. He was at nickel state linebackers coach. He got picked up as an area scout in 2002 for the Patriots, which he was there for four years. He was promoted to regional scout in 2008. Um, and then in 2009, he was promoted to the assistant director of college scouting. The following season, he was promoted to the full director of college scouting for New England Patriots, a position that he held in 2013. He then was hired by the Buccaneers, took the position of player pers- director of player personnel for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, and then after that uh, one year with the Bucs, Titans, they knew they had a diamond in the rough there and how well he had moved up. I mean, he'd been with the Patriots organization 2002 to 2013 11 years uh working with working with that organization it was a good good 11 years to be with the patriots too yeah yeah so uh i think uh he you can work your way up through a lot of different ways but he did it scouting is probably scouting. a big yeah, one scouting so I, i'd imagine you got to be you got to have a good eye for talent you got to be able to give them give them the eye test I would love to be a scout, go to the combine, senior bowl. <laughs> it would be fun. It'd be fun. Watch I'd love to just be, so much college film. Yeah, or be like the assistant. Like be one of the, one of the assistant scouts. Be like, hey, go check out this D2 game this Saturday and tell me what you think about this uh, left guard over here. I could do it. That's gritty. What's even grittier would be like scouting like high school guys, like re- trying to recruit in college and like, 
scouting all these high school age kids. So many guys. I think that's well, that's tough too because those guys aren't even fully grown yet. Well, yeah, they're sixteen. You don't know and, how they're going to respond when they get in the weight room. You know, and you don't know how they're going to respond when with adversity and like dealing with different things. Like those guys are kids, at least in the when they've been I, the best. They've been the best player on their team their whole life. Yeah. So when they come in and they're back on the bottom of the totem pole, like you, you never know how a kid like that is going to react uh, ego wise. So I think that's a, that's a huge thing uh, to take into account too. I'm watching. It looks like the lady balls are about to lose to Belmont. No way. Oh no. Yeah. They're down by two in the fourth quarter, 25 seconds left. Belmont's about to shoot some free throws. Oh, I need to get it on. I mean, I like Belmont. Shout out. Shout out Rick Bird. Shout out the hometown. Shout out Jenny Roy. Oh, Jenny Roy. Bruins. We could talk a little uh, Brentwood basketball. The well, Lady Bruins basketball. Nick's, <laughs> Nick's mean, one of the she, foremost she, experts on Lady Bruins. Yeah, basketball. she uh, she was able to get them to the to the second best um, Lady Bruins team in Brentwood history, um, and obviously has done a great job at Belmont and defensive monster. Build the stat sheet. Build truly. the stat sheet. Um, Thousand points. But there were two players, uh, a duo, a tandem, you could call them, that actually were able to pull off the 24-1 and one, uh, season. District champions, region champions. Uh, unfortunately, sub-state canceled by COVID. Wow. Uh, I didn't realize, I didn't really think about that. Yeah, so sub-state Dang. canceled by COVID. They're, they were the champs. I will, I will put a Make small a asterisk. Small asterisk, we did lose five minutes or 10 minutes before they canceled the tournament. So we kind of already knew our fate. It was an absolute heartbreaker. Um, lost Wait, they one. lost Substate before? Yeah, they canceled it like literally 20 minutes after the game. Oh, really? They canceled the rest of it after the game. Yeah, it was like... Right so they lost after- in Substate, but then found out the tournament was canceled? Yeah. That's, crazy. <laughs> That's hilarious. So it was, uh, they, they lost on a heartbreaker absolute heartbreaker uh delaney and emily played their hearts out ended up losing by one or two points uh to a really good team from memphis but uh well not to uh not not to compare myself your your sisters are obviously supreme basketball players um to me but our our intramural team had a similar fate we had our final four our final four game was scheduled for thursday night like this no. team had been together for four years. Like, and we we're finally making a run to the final four, like putting all the pieces together. Canceled, bro. Canceled on Thursday afternoon. Like, game was Thursday night. School, everything was canceled that Thursday afternoon. The so, worst. Yeah. Well, we count ourselves as champions. I mean, our team was just unstoppable that season. So I wasn't I mean, worried about it. It, it, was, it was tough for everybody that game. I know. Or that year. That year. Yeah. Well, it was tough, but uh, speaking of a little USC Aiken or USC Aiken Lady Pacers basketball, um, this is your Lady Aiken, yeah, Lady, Lady Aiken minute. minute, yeah. As we were, uh, crap, I'm already forgetting that team that we uh used to do the minute on, uh, Presbyterian, Blue sorry, House. sorry, Pre- uh, Presbyterian. Blue also, House. quick update oh man, Vols, oh boy, Belmont, Belmont women missed their free throw, Vols got it, three in the corner flushed 
Oh, let's man. go. Ten, se- 10 seconds to go. Ball's up one. I think I kinda, Belmont's, I think Belmont's go. got the ball. Let's go, Belmont. Is there a timeout? They're going to the – it went out of bounds, so they're going to the monitor. All right, hold up. I'm going to pull it up. This might be uh, This might be the end of the, the show. Um, but I did want to get in some big news from the Pacers, Lady Pacers. Uh, we're having two transfers All right. leave. Um, oh. But it's <laughs> good news because uh, there was actually some locker room trouble at the end of the year Uh-oh. here. Um, and coach decided to stick with the tried and true Trucial sisters. Um, and, nice. of course. and tell, tell the other troublemakers, sorry, get out of town. We're sticking hit the road. We got yeah. the Trucial sisters. So they've got a, uh, I believe six, four, 220 pound center coming in next year, baby. So, wow. Uh, we've wow, got that's big, lady big, balls. Yeah, yeah. big recruits coming in next year. Um, TBA is rocking. Yeah. So the lady Pacers are uh, a whole new scheme drawn up. Some of the locker room trouble being taken care of um, and then getting in big recruits. So I got to catch a, minute. I got to catch a lady Pacer game. Hey, they, they're everyone is live streamed. Uh, you go to uh, pacersports.com and you can watch every single one. Hey, there we go. That's a good plug. Now I'm coming in person. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go crazy. Got to oh, yeah. support. You know the and they play in North Georgia. So there's uh. Well, I mean, you're coming from Arkansas. I was talking about Nashville, but uh, figure it out. We'll figure out something. I'll never forget. I'll never forget Delaney and Emily trying to coach our basketball team when we were like in high school. And, yeah, uh, they, they did a great a job. job. They're probably the best coaches we had, to be honest. Yeah, Toe and it, our other coaches just wanted to fight each other, and then yeah. like. And then Delaney came in and she, she was a player's coach. I mean, she just, a players she, coach. she was a player's coach. She, she knew the game. She knew the, even though both of our other coaches also, uh, coaches also played basketball. She, she knew how to handle the personalities. She knew how, she how knew to how handle, to handle the, the egos. Per- yeah. The ego. She was able to get us in line quick and uh, 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 draw it all together. So yeah, always a big shout out to D on that one. Dang. But, All right. I, I think we can I think close, we can wrap it up. On yeah, that. I think we can wrap it up with the Pacer Minute. Always, always good to get that in. So, yeah, guys, uh, thanks again for listening. Be sure to check out the social medias, Twitter, at Paydirt underscore sports, Instagram, at Paydirt sports. Be sure to check out us on YouTube as well. It's the first time we're doing the video stream. So check us out on the Six Pack Coverage YouTube channel. Be sure to check out Six Pack Coverage's website, sixpackcoverage.com. Food, health, fitness, sports, travel, anything you need, they've got it. Guys, thanks again for listening, and we will see you all next week. We still dancing. We still dancing.